0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Creator Talks. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. Well, I have my first returning guest on the podcast today, Jim Zubkovich, also known as Jim Zub. He returns. See, it wasn't so bad. He came back. And it's been a while since I've talked to Jim. It was, oh, geez, it was like seven months ago that we first talked about Glitter Bomb. And he's back now to talk about the return of Glitter Bomb, the fame game, written by Jim Zub and drawn by... Jibril Said Fan, a new hot and up-and-coming artist working with Jim on the book providing the lush illustrations. I really hope you had a chance to read the first series or catch it in trade paperback because it's the same returning artist, same returning writer, same creative team on this book. And it is fantastic. I read a copy last night. Boy, I can't wait for you all to get a chance to read this as well. So Jim and I will talk about the book and what horrors we can expect to see. Also, we're going to talk about Gen Con 50. Jim was there a few weeks ago, and he's going to talk about his experience at Gen Con 50 and why he was there. Also, Jim was at the Royal Cinema, and I'm very interested in learning more about the cartoons and serials that were there. And also, we're going to talk about the king, Jack Kirby. This would have been his 100th birthday this month, this past Monday, and I'm going to find out how he influenced Jim as a writer and we share our memories of Jack Kirby comics that we both enjoyed. So without further ado, my interview with Jim Zub here now on Creator Talks. Jim, welcome back to Creator Talks.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: I'm glad you came back. It wasn't that bad now, was it? No, no, of course not. <laughs> Things are good. It's been a while. It's been uh, like seven months. I think it was the end of January that we first talked. Was it? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Time is flying. Time has flown. And I think I might have mentioned last time I have two boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, one turns six last week and one turns one tomorrow. Oh, wow. Which is actually today when people hear this. And right yeah, lot, and it's they had to hit milestones before their birthdays like the six-year-old just learned how to ride a bike without training wheels nice and now there's no stopping him like he's just how do you do a wheelie no, no, don't worry about that he's
1: on the move now yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's
0: on the move the one-year-old just learned how to walk wow and it's you know it's funny because they have that kind of frankenstein walk at first which <laughs> when you think about it frankenstein was doing the baby walk but he almost did kind of a Frankenstein-Joe Cocker combination where his arms were back. I'm mm-hmm. like, dude, what are you doing? But it's, it's, it's cute. It's fun. It's just the way it is. Yeah, yeah. It really gets his grounding there. <laughs> yeah. You recently went to Gen Con 50 mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago. And Now, were you there uh, for part business to promote D&D Frost Giants?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I've been doing Gen Con for several years now. Uh, it's one of my favorite conventions. It's so different from most comic shows, and it's really, really uh, wonderfully put together. I'm a lifelong gamer, you know, D&D, board games, the whole 10 yards. And uh, for the last, I guess, I think five years, I've had an actual booth that I share with um, – other creators so there's a a sci-fi cartoonist named howard taylor who does this wonderful strip called schlock mercenary and he was the one who invited me originally and he shares a booth with uh famous um fantasy author tracy hickman and so the three of us now basically uh split a booth and promote our wares and hang out and play games and it's just it's wonderful it's a really great kind of change of pace to a lot of conventions that i do not that i don't enjoy comic shows but just you know kind of breaks up the 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 typical kind of thing
0: has gaming increased lately because i remember now i was never a big gamer myself but i remember back in high school dungeons and dragons was a big deal um, and I'm wondering if maybe because it's I've seen it more on television, like on I. Oh, it's on.
1: It's a surge. Uh, gaming is really big. It's gone through a real renaissance, both in terms of the quality and the the depth of the games and the type of gameplay that's out there. But also, I think people are just yearning for experiences that aren't in front of a screen or or passive in the way that you know watching television or or you know, just hanging out and having a beer, but actually having something to do, having a shared purpose, whether that's a storytelling game or a board game or all kinds of different stuff. And so they're noticing like game sales are breaking records and they're definitely in the public conscience. So uh, it's big.
0: I guess because you're sitting around a table with people actually making eye contact.
1: Exactly. Well, I think, I think there's something, you know, people want to get to, you know, back to real experiences. They want to have, social interactions with the people they care about and games just give you kind of a common framework to enable those experiences whether they're competitive or cooperative or you know storytelling or more kind of strategic i think it's just something to kind of break up the the digitalness of our you know day-to-day uh which is so all-encompassing at this point
0: that's encouraging to hear because i sometimes worry a bit about uh virtual reality I mean it's cool it re- I've looked at it it's cool, super great, but I'm wondering are we gonna get too separated from <laughs> the real world and interacting with real people and just kind of like isolate ourselves in our houses I mean that's an extreme, but I'm just kind you know they still have people really hungry to to sit down and have like a an evening you know, kind right. of a festive atmosphere. I'll bring snacks and we'll have a good time sitting around and playing a game until whenever. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think it's also, you know, the technology now is, is you know, becoming more of a tool to enable these experiences, whether it's organizing a convention or trips or, you know, setting up using Skype to, to run a game, but also, you know, like to, to role play with people who previously you wouldn't have been able to, you know, thanks to distance, wouldn't have been able to spend some time with. So I think it's, Hopefully the technology continues to enable more social experiences rather than making us feel isolated.
0: When you went to Gen Con, I mean, do you see different fans there of yours that don't delve into comics at all? Or do you see some crossover where, yeah, they read comics and they're also into the gaming?
1: I think it's a bit of both. But, I mean, the gaming audience is definitely, you know, has its own thing as well. Like I've got quite a few fans who come to Gen Con and they literally just come to my table every year and buy the new books – so they're not hunting them down at a comic book store. They're not keeping track of the monthlies or things like that. They just want to come to the table. Oh, what do you have that's new from last year? All right, I'll get all caught up. And they want to get it from me in person. They want to have that little interaction and uh, you know, chat about what's new and whatnot. And so that's very much, it's great to be able to, to engage that audience, particularly one that's not necessarily going to a comic book store and turn them into comic book fans. You know, one of the advantages of being at Gen Con is there aren't a lot of comic people there. So I kind of I can stand out a little bit in a, you know, a field. You know, I do well at comic shows as well, but it's nice to be really kind of a different be able to offer something compatible. You know, obviously, I'm doing the D&D comic. I've done a lot of fantasy stuff. So it's definitely in, in the gamer wheelhouse of the people that are there at Gen Con. But, you know, different enough in terms of format and and the type of stuff that I'm offering that I can thankfully stand out.
0: Would you tell me a bit about the uh, frost giants miniseries? Cause I think issue five was due to come out eight thirty.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it's the third miniseries I've done for dungeons and dragons. I've been writing the comic series since the fifth edition of dungeons and dragons launched. Uh, and it's been a ton of fun and you know, like 10 year old me is still kind of, uh, amazed that this is all happening. Uh, cause I love D and D so much. And so I get to, uh, really do some new adventures with a a mixture of heroes. So some of them are kind of famous from this uh, very popular video game called uh, Baldur's Gate that was released in the 90s. And um, I also get to add to that cast with a bunch of new characters and take them on new adventures. So if you're a fan of the old video games, you get to check in with some of these characters. And if you're not, you just get a classic kind of fun uh, D&D adventure. And so the first miniseries we did was called Legends of Baldur's Gate. And uh, it was a ton of fun. And that went over really well. So they asked me to come back and do another one. And so I tied it into this kind of gothic horror setting called Ravenloft that's really famous in the Dungeons & Dragons canon. And uh, I got to take our heroes and sort of put them into this dark, desolate kind of place and, and see how they bounced off of it. And the latest one is called Frost Giant's Fury. So it ties in with a major adventure that's happening in the D&D world where the giants are kind of on the march and causing trouble for humankind and the other races and so our story isn't the exact same one as the adventures that go on sale but it's all kind of uh adjacent to it so people get themselves into the mood and yeah whether or not you're a, if you're a D gamer obviously you'll get a lot out of it but if you're not you still just get a nice kind of fantasy adventure and tell a fun story and get your uh get your sword and sorcery on
0: Well, you have my interest, and there you go again, Jim. Now there's something else I have to add in my reading pile. Thanks a lot. I am totally okay (laughs) with that. (laughs) Hey, uh, I've been to Toronto, but I did not, when I went there, visit the Royal Cinema, which I think you were at recently, and it looks like a blast. And that's an old theater. It goes back to, what, 39 or something? It's been renovated? Yeah, it's
1: been around for ages. There's a couple of these sort of uh, independent theaters that thankfully have gained new life. I think, again, it's like people looking for unique experiences. And so instead of just first run kind of new movies, there's a couple of these theaters that will run uh, old screenings or special events. And so I was at the Royal for, they did a a fun thing. It was a Saturday morning, all you can eat cereal and cartoons. And so for like four hours, they show a bunch of old school cartoons. And probably the most fun is actually the commercials. So they show you a bunch of commercials of, of the era. And some of those are beyond ridiculous if you're not used to them. Or you, the the weirdest part is seeing some of that stuff and realizing you recognize it, of course. Um, <laughs> yeah, they show some old uh, cartoons and the crowd's really getting into it. And there's kids there and they have a cereal bar where you basically go up and pour yourself as much cereal as you can handle. <laughs> so we strange. had all those strange mixtures of cereals I never would have gotten away with when I was uh, a kid.
0: When I was a little kid – my parents would go to Vermont, and there was a Santa Claus land there. And one of the things they would do is we'd all go into, like, this little classroom, and they would show cartoons. like Looney oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it's probably still there, but that's great cereal bar, too. Wow.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a nice little addition. So it was fun. You know, you see a lot of um, – you see some older people checking it out, kind of middle-aged people like myself sort of getting nostalgic. But there were tons of kids there, too. And, you know, the stuff's universal. Like, people – these cartoons – A lot of them still hold up. They're tons of fun. And the ones that are bad, you know, having the audience there kind of makes it better because we're all sort of laughing along at how corny they are and, you know, your memories of them and whatnot. Yeah,
0: it's funny. I still like cartoons. I love cartoons. My grandfather loved cartoons. He was watching them. My wife and I had a chance to go out on Sunday night and we went to our favorite sushi bar and it's the summer and Mm -hmm. people aren't going out. They're, They're at the beach. So we get in there and the bar is open, but there's no one there. But they're like, you can sit there. I'm like, okay, great. So we sit down. I don't follow sports avidly, and I did not want to see news. I didn't want to hear any Mm -hmm. bad news. And the the bartender just put the remote in front of me, and I was like, oh. So I'm click, 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 boomerang. So (laughs) we put on Scooby-Doo. My wife's there like, you go. You're the only person I know who goes into a bar and puts on cartoons. Whatever. Like, it's I totally I awesome. Guess it's, it's just great. us. Who cares? And I yeah, yeah. I, I just like, I, I read lips. I didn't actually have a chance to listen to it, but I was like, this is pretty good. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. beer and cartoons. <laughs> That's right. There is nothing <laughs> right. wrong with
1: that. A <laughs> yeah. little bit of nostalgia there.
0: Absolutely. But why we're all gathered here today is to talk about Glitter Bomb. It's back.
1: Hurrah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So after a year of, uh, well, you know, last, uh, September we launched Glitterbomb, uh, too much, uh, critical acclaim and the book's done really well. And right from the start, I knew we, I wanted to do, I'm hoping we can do three arcs in total, three mini series that each sort of feed off of each other. Uh, and so this is the second one, it's called the fame game and you can read it right from the get go. If you've never read Glitter Bomb, it's sort of a, it's a Hollywood horror story. A bit kind of uh, Cthulian, a bit sort of uh, uh, you know Faustian kind of uh, tale of uh, horror and tragedy in uh, Tinseltown. And this second one picks up where the first one left off, but it focuses on a different character than the first one. So you can jump on board and be immediately uh, ready to roll.
0: Yeah, you can figure it out if you didn't read the first arc. But I mean I would recommend it because – first, it was excellent. I loved it. Oh, and, thank you. And this next one, I jumped right back into it and I was like, now I know why I love this so much. And you have the amazing Jabril working on the art. Yeah. Well, I swear, he's gotten better. I oh, yeah. Swear I swear mean, it's, it's even a, better
1: than last time. It's been a year. Well, you know, he's at that age, like, he's still very young. He's 22, which is mind-blowing when you see the quality that he's producing and the consistency of his work. Um, so he's at that explosive age where he's just seeing that growth in his skills, like, you know, the the stuff's coming to him and the more he practices, the better he's going to get. So I can't wait to see, you know, next year around this time where he's at, because the pages are just flowing out of him and his storytelling is so, so good and so consistent. Uh, yeah, it's a, just a pure joy to work with him and Kurt, our colorist, and of course, you know, Marshall, our letterer, and uh, Holly Hughes is back as well. And she's writing uh, the Back Matter essays about – you know, what's going on behind the camera in Hollywood. So it's really the exact same team as last time. So if you enjoyed it, you're going to get uh, a lot more. And uh, if you've never read it before, well, I want to bring you in and and show you what we've got.
0: It sounds great. And I'm glad the uh, back matters back. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that as much as the story itself. A uh, little extra value there for folks.
1: Yeah, right? I think it's just nice, you know, on a creator owned book where I've got kind of control of the content. I like giving people a little bit of extra content. I like being able to kind of dive a little deeper into the subject matter and not really fret about page count in that way. And so, uh, yeah, I spoke to Holly and said, look, I'd really love to have you back on board and bring you more insight, you know, and things like that. And then that's the nice thing about it is with this, you know, images is is all about empowering the creators. So, you know, if that's what we want to do, then we just figure it out. We just tell them we're going to do this page count. We're going to have this content and away we go.
0: What I like about this particular story so much is that you're dealing with the psychological effects that fame has on someone's ego, how it changes them you know, psychologically, but since this is also a horror book, physically, and mm-hmm. as always, things happen and people have to see it for themselves, the beautiful art and some of the... Horrific things that happen, but you've you got to read it to see it. I don't I don't want to say too much because oh, I never want thanks. to offend yeah, anybody. else. I'm really else.
1: really proud of the book and you know finding a collaborator like Jabril who can just take the the concepts in the scripts and just propel them to another level. You know, it's all well and good for me to write that something is you know freaky or or horrifying or whatnot, and then he's got to really run with that and make that visual you know sync up with it. And so. I feel, you know, so fortunate just to be with such a great team that's that we're all on the same page and we all really understand what we're going for in terms of theme and in terms of mood. And it's uh, it's been a real thrill. And I'm so, so happy that, you know, uh, people love it and they want to see it back. And also that, you know, Jabril and the crew are getting a lot more work because of it. You know, when people saw his pages for the first series, he immediately started to get calls from companies and so the nice thing about having that break between the story arcs is, A, he gets to build up his skills and do, you know, fill in issues for Marvel and stuff like that, and we get to come back full strength and just keep rocking it out.
0: It's amazing, and I love the pacing of it, because page turn by page turn, there are reveals, and and nothing spoiled before you turn the page, you know what I mean? It's like, it, just the way it's paced is perfect for a horror comic book.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, it was interesting to me, because this is the first kind of horror story i i've done you know that's been published and so i wanted to really dig into something you know every story is something that you're passionate about and that you want to put some of yourself into but i felt like subject matter wise i you know i wasn't sure how people were going to take it you know this is the guy that wrote disney's figment and you know has done a bunch of superhero stuff and sword and sorcery and is known a lot more for action and comedy than kind of serious stories but I think that was one of the fun challenges was being able to say, okay, I'm going to surprise you. I'm going to try and push into a different area and evoke some different emotions and see if I can do that effectively. And thankfully, people have responded to it. So
0: Glitter Bomb's coming out 9-20, I believe, September 20th. Yep, yeah, September okay. 20th. And you're a busy guy. You're spinning a lot of plates. You've got uh, Wayward also coming up.
1: hmm Wayward's still going. Yep. Fifth story arc. And Uncanny Avengers. Yeah, Uncanny Avengers and uh, more Dungeons & Dragons coming as well. Yeah, uh, I love I love balancing the, uh, the work for hire and the creator-owned. I love doing both at the same time. So, uh, yeah, I mean, doing Avengers is just phenomenal. It's such a thrill to work with uh, such a great cast of characters. You know, Uncanny is a really neat book because it's kind of at the cross-section of a lot of different aspects of the Marvel Universe. There's like, you know, there's mutants and... It's the Human Torch is in it because the current Fantastic Four is disbanded and we've got the Wasp and we've got Rogue and we've got, you know, uh, as of the issue today, we've got Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. And it's just a really fun group of characters and they're all kind of disparate in terms of their motivations and what brings them together. And so I get to, you know, really play with such cool little bits of the Marvel Universe And then also do my creator own stuff. And so, you know, they they kind of scratch different itches.
0: And the Avengers, well, that segues into something I want to talk about, especially Mm -hmm. this last day of the month of August. Jack Kirby, it would have been his 100th birthday this month. I think Monday would have been his actual birthday. That's right. Um, And, you know, of course, he had a a lot to do with the Avengers. And I I understand the story goes that the reason why that book came about when it did was because Daredevil number 1 was late so jack had to jump in and do something else and get it out there in the market and avengers
1: came out it's funny how sometimes those you know weird <laughs> yeah. just mother of necessity kind of things turn into something big yeah and standing back now i didn't know that
0: at the time of course i wasn't buying it at the time but even when i read the books i didn't know i needed this stuff it was just like cool sure. great but you know uh he's just an amazing artist and i first saw his work when i was younger and it was through the like Marvel's Greatest Comics Collections, mm-hmm. and I would buy my new comics on the newsstand uh, or at the 7-Eleven and buy my new Fantastic Four. But I was just as excited to get that reprint of Fantastic Four drawn by Jack Kirby. Nice.
1: So it was,
0: it, cause I it, To me, it was
1: all new. Right, right. No, exactly. I was in the same boat. I was collecting Amazing Spider-Man. And I was buying Marvel Tales mm-hmm. so I could get some of the older issues and, and fill in my collection.
0: Oh, we were so lucky back then. It was so, yeah. it was so much fun. You were getting like the, double the dose and seeing the masters at work. And it was really cool to see Kirby come back to Marvel because I I like DC, but I was never brought up on DC per se. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I saw Batman 66 when I was very little, I'm, I'm told, um, and Superman cartoons. But what I first read, the first cut I had was Marvel. So I've always had a – connection to that you know when i go to see a marvel movie having read marvel comics for 40 years i get choked up when i see certain things because it it's so
1: mind-blowing now to think about i mean the movies are just it's it's brain busting to me when i was a kid i wanted like one good spider-man movie that would have like (laughs) fueled me for a decade you know what i mean like that was all i needed the idea that we would have a crossing universe of movies Coming out in such ludicrous numbers that I can barely keep up with them. I mean, it's just wild the DC movies the Marvel movies all of it just the fact that we're living in this, you know, comic book kind of media golden age. It's, uh, it's a little surreal.
0: It is, yeah. Because growing up, they there were some things, but there were nothing like we have now. And the fact they're pulling so much from the comics, little Easter eggs and nuggets that mean a lot to me because I read the books for years and years and years. So there's there's that emotional connection to it as well.
1: Oh, it's, absolutely.
0: It's like watching any series. Like you watch it season after season. You're vested in the characters. You know, it's, you've watched them not through a binge watch but over time, and it means – more, it's kind of hard to recapture that feeling without having spent time with those characters over years as you
1: grow and change. Right, absolutely. You know, and it's funny too that the um, the longer it goes, I think the more um, the more experimental they're getting in terms of trying different things out. And you know, speaking of Kirby, you look at Thor Ragnarok and the Kirbyness of it, mm. the cosmic feel, the the crazy chunky architecture and tech and everything. It's really. They're embracing that kind of Kirbyism of Marvel and just running with it, which I'm really excited about. I can't wait to see that on the big screen.
0: Oh yeah, me too. Definitely, I'm going to be there for that. And that's when it's the experience of going to a theater. That's something I plan for. Get the sitters, <laughs> and because I, I do want to be in a theater for that. It's totally different experience. I can catch up on things watching DVDs or you know streaming, but I definitely want to be in a theater for big events like that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it, it, what's nice is is I think the fact that People can, you know, come back and discover, you know, Kirby, that they can discover kind of the incredible, action-packed, you know, bigger than life kind of artwork that still holds up, like that still has this just unbelievably dynamic quality and is instantly recognizable.
0: Yeah. Those books always struck me when I was growing up. I like all of them, but when I would open one up and it had Kirby on the inside, I was just thrilled. And you know, I grew up reading his older stuff, you know, inked by Dick Ayers, Chick Stone, Vince Coletta. Um, but he came back in the 70s, and I was still buying comics at that point, And I was lucky enough to be buying them from a 7-Eleven or, or a drugstore. And one that really just jumped out at me when he first came back to Marvel after working for DC for a while was Captain America Mad Bomb.
1: Oh, yeah. Just crazy stuff. Crazy. And you can see the uh, – that's, you know, when he's really kind of – Blowing it all out like there's no stopping him in terms of big ideas and wild page layouts, but never like lacking in storytelling You know, sometimes i'll see artists nowadays who do wild page layouts and I have no idea where i'm supposed to be looking But on a kirby page that doesn't really happen. you still got that focus
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, and I remember that series. I if I recall correctly, I think issue number 200 Which was the finale of the mad bomb storyline mm-hmm. came out july 1976, like the bicentennial. Wow! I'm pretty sure that's the month it came out. I was like, Wow! They really timed that just right. You know, I'm right, sure there was right. no accident. You know, Captain America, and he took it from there. I mean, he was doing a lot of covers for Marvel back at that time as well, which I love those. And he did some stuff. Now, some things were kind of they didn't quite work with me so much. I mean, mm-hmm. they didn't, like, like Black Panther was really like wild for Black mm-hmm. Panther. It wasn't what I expected, but but he's really good at that sci-fi, uh, cosmic adventure.
1: Kirby, right. and 2001 was great. Oh, yeah. Just – and it seemed, again, like it, like the page couldn't contain it, mm-hmm. like it was just erupting off the page. And out
0: of that jumped Machine Man.
1: Right. Oh, man.
0: Yeah, Machine Man was great. Because I, I, I still have – I'm lucky to still have all those comics that I bought from the Seven Eleven. Not, I mean I didn't buy these at conventions or online. These are the ones I actually went in. I plunked down my quarter of 30 cents and I bought and I know you're a fan of the Eternals. That mm-hmm. And I went down the stairs to see if in my basement, in my, in my uh, library, to see if I still had it. And I have the whole run, 1 through 19, oh, in
1: nice. the annual. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, my brother and I really like the Eternals. It just, you know, it felt like it was kind of compartmentalized off in its own world in a good way. And it was just constant building. Like there was just every issue, new ideas, new material, it just this this endless kind of fountain of concepts and characters,
0: and it's it's wonderful. I just opened a few of them up and started paging through, and I was like, "Man, I I have to go back and read these again because these look really really good. I mean, they they hold up. My memory is is correct. They were that good.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's funny. I'll go back and I'll reread some stuff. I uh, not Kirby, but I went. I was rereading some of the Marvel Two and ones, and I reread Project Pegasus, uh, and I loved that when I was growing up, I thought that little kind of, uh, I guess it's a story arc. They wouldn't have called it that back then, but those issues really knocked me out when I was a kid. Um, you know, and those hold up really well. And some of the other storylines don't as much, Mm -hmm. but that one does. And a bunch of the Kirby stuff does. It's nice when your nostalgia for it is not just Purely based on age where yeah. you're like, well, I liked when I was a kid. <laughs> oh, you know, oh, right.
0: Yeah, no, I've, Maybe I've, I should I've have just
1: left it in my memory
0: banks, <laughs> you know, um, I picked up a copy of one of the true believers issues that came out this month, mm-hmm. the, the devil dinosaur. Oh, Which, sweet. I also read that too. And I thought, well, I'll read that to my son because he likes dinosaurs and we'll try something different. So it was reading time.
1: Mm-hmm. And I
0: tell you this because it shows you the power that Kirby's imagination had on people. So I read Devil Dinosaur to him, and I didn't get through it the first issue because he kept stopping me. Well, how big are the dinosaurs? Well, how – were they around when man was around? Because Moon Boy's on top of him. I said, well, no, not really, but, but this is a story, and he's asking me all about the prehistoric age. And then that went into planets, and then that nice. went into the universe. So then after we were finished reading half of it, I had to go over the prehistoric history with him a little bit. <laughs> and then he said the next day, he goes, can we finish – that book that you showed me about the universe. So we spent the next night for half an hour and normally I'm like, oh, I got to read to the kids. Now it's like my wife's like, guys, it's time to go to bed because he wants to right. learn more about science but just reading that book with me Sparked his imagination and he just now, ignites, it, something. It just ignites yeah. something. And Kirby just has that power his drawings and his, the, this, this concepts it just kind of got him interested in more, which is, you can't ask for more than that from a comic book. No, <laughs> you
1: know? it's amazing. You know, I, I loved, um, Stan Lee would use words I'd never seen before in comics. Yeah. And so I was constantly checking the dictionary and being like, <laughs> Oh, that's a really great word. I'm going to add that to my vocabulary. Like I was obsessed with, Well, if they're using it in the comics, it's got to be an important word, you know? That's so true. And so so he would just sort of blow it out with all kinds of weird and wonderful (laughs) jargon.
0: (laughs) Well, let me ask you this as a writer. I know as a fan, but as a writer, how did Jack Kirby influence you then and how does he influence you now? Maybe not directly, Um, but in in what way?
1: Right. So I think – I mean it's weird, right? Like I don't just want to do the things that Kirby did and I think that in some ways, weirdly, that's the inspiration – that Kirby was always himself, that he injected some of himself into it, that you could recognize a Kirby story from a mile away. And it's like, I don't want to fall into a rut, but equally I want to do what I do well. And I want to be proud of of my strengths and really kind of lean into them, you know, as much as I can and be my own storyteller, be my own creator. And so I think, you know, Kirby, you know, the stuff feels fearless. When he's at his best, he's really – Doing the stories the way he wants to and trusting in his storytelling instincts And so it's something where I go, okay, you know, I feel like this is the right choice and obviously, you know You got to choose which hills you're gonna die on but when I'm talking to my editor like I want to say, okay, here's Why I'm doing this. It's not just a random thought. It's not just a a, a, You know Whimsy like I've got a plan and this is where we're going with this and I think emotionally I can really make this resonate And, you know, not just kind of rolling over and saying, well, whatever, you know, it's a paycheck. What do you think? Okay, great. And, and just kind of being your own artist, being, yeah, being confident in yourself and building on your strengths that way, I think is, for lack of a better term, the Kirby way, you know, one of the best posts I saw from someone uh, on Monday, you know, Jack Kirby's birthday, is someone said, you know, I'd love to talk about Jack Kirby, but the most Jack Kirby thing I can do is hit my deadlines. <laughs> and I was like, ah, kudos to you, man. That's totally true actually. You know, Jack was he was uh, a craftsman, but he he understood that this was a business and that there are deadlines for a reason, you know. And and I feel like you know if you respect the people in your team, you know then you're communicating with them well, and you're doing everything you can to try and deliver on time and not leave them hanging in the process. You know, I think that that's the sign of of a professional and someone who respects their coworkers.
0: Yeah, his work ethic was amazing. I mean, he did so many books in one month. The number of oh, pages yeah. probably told like a hundred pages of art per month.
1: Just wild, just a wild amount of material. And again, that idea that it just felt like it was unstoppable like it can't be contained by the page you know he's got to get it down there in the uh, Devil Dinosaur
0: books he he wrote essays that went along with the letters page Oh cool and and Jack has always been I mean at least my impression was he was quiet cuz Stan was the guy out in front mm-hmm. and Jack was an amazing artist but it was always a debate over well who really wrote the stories was it was it Stan was it Jack but when I read the essays that he wrote about Devil Dinosaur in the prehistoric age I was like wow he's really a smart guy and he can really write. And I never knew that.
1: Yeah, I think people assume that he's just the artist, you know, that that his job was to just draw the pictures. And, you know, it's still a, a, a mistake that people make nowadays that they think that the writer is coming up with every single thing and that the artist is just sort of you know, drawing what they're told. And the reality is it's a much more collaborative effort, you know, in most teams on most comic stories. Sure. There are times where I've written the script and then, you know, the art has been done and I've been kind of removed from the process, but far more often it's collaborative. We're going back and forth. I'm talking to the artist about what they want to draw, what they're excited about. They're throwing visual ideas at me or sometimes even, you know, the the actual uh, character stuff as well things that they're passionate about or ideas that they have as well. And it's about, you know, the whole team working together to make something that we couldn't do individually. And so everyone's sort of involved in that process. And I feel like the more, you know, people understand about the creative process, the more appreciation that they have for all the different people doing their jobs. Well,
0: yeah, yeah. That's, that's something I think people, Back when I used to read comics, didn't realize that there's a gray line there. It's not just writer artist. There's that collaboration back and forth, uh, much more than we realized, and it certainly yeah. is now.
1: And Stan and Jack's a perfect example of that. You know, where Jack would be in some cases drawing the entire story, and then Stan would be coming in and adding dialogue. But Jack has essentially built the story. You know, he built the the visual storytelling and also the 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 story itself, how it all fits together.
0: Yeah. He was one of the greats. Definitely one of the greats, if not the greatest comic book artist
1: out there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what's I think a lot of people just take for granted, you know, what Jack did because they're seeing iterations and, you know, built upon the foundation that that Stan and Jack put together. So if you're not reading the original or you look at it and you go, well, that's kind of hokey or that's sort of corny or whatever, you're like, yeah, but they're trailblazing the whole time they're coming up with you know dramatic sensibilities for these characters or they're you know the feet of clay kind of stuff where they're giving flaws to these superheroes who were previously practically perfect and i think that that you know dramatic sensibility and that kind of storytelling sensibility it informs everything that we do nowadays it informs obviously the movies and everything else but you know it's it's going to carry on, and, and that's really the legacy of Jack Kirby is that his imagination is just bigger than and you know cannot be contained even by his life that it's going to carry onward in a really amazing kind of legacy.
0: Absolutely, it changed everything. Well, Jim, I know you're really busy, so I'm not going to keep you much longer. Just no worries. Uh, again to uh, welcome you back with glitter bomb, wonderful. The Thank fame you. game 920. Wayward's coming back. And also, there's something else I understand. Now, I live in Delaware, mm-hmm. and not too far from me is my local comic shop, and I understand. I was talking to them this week. You're going to make a Skype appearance or something there for their ladies' night coming up?
1: Yeah, so they've got a uh, a comic group that's going to be doing a Glitter Bomb reading, and then we're going to do like a Q&A kind of over Skype. So that should be a ton of fun.
0: That's great. No, that's a wonderful shop. Uh, you know, Sarah and Titus are great owners, and they, they take care of their customers. They build a real community there because they have those meetings. For They have ladies' night, uh, all teen night. They have all different kinds of events like that to really get people involved and talking
1: about the books. Oh, good. I mean, community is so important with this kind of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Have you done one with them before? That's a good question. I've done a few of these, and I can't remember if I did one with them or not. I think I did, actually. So I've done three or four of these, and so sometimes I can lose mm-hmm. a little bit of track in terms of, is that the sure. story I did or was it a different one? But I think I did because they were reaching out and saying that, uh, you know, I, I'm pretty sure they said the last one we did went well and they want to do another one. So Oh, no doubt.
0: You'll have fun. <laughs> yeah, it'll be great. Everybody will. Well, Jim, thanks so much. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to share before we wrap up?
1: Um, just, you know, keep an eye out for stuff I've got in the next month or so. I think they're announcing my next – marvel project so it should be before new york comic-con in any case and i am incredibly excited about that can't wait for people to see what we've got in the hopper for uh for 2018
0: well i'll keep my eyes open and when i see that maybe we'll get back together in 2018 and talk about it
1: talk the talk that'd be fun
0: all right thanks so much jim
1: all right take care now
0: thank you for listening to this episode of creator talks the podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, and YouTube. If you like what you hear, please rate and review on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't miss a single episode each Thursday. Subscribe. It's free. A new interview will be available each week, and sometimes there'll be a second, maybe even a third interview that week. You can send me feedback and comment on social media. I can be reached at Creator Talks Pod. That's at Creator CreatorTalksPod on Facebook and Twitter. I'm also available on Instagram, Creator Talks Pod. There, I will post pictures while I'm on location, as well as my Saturday Silver Age or Older and Sunday Bronze Age Spotlight comics from my personal collection. Don't forget to visit my website, CreatorTalks.com. There, I have listed the latest episode on the homepage, plus a playlist of all the episodes to date that you can listen to online or download. In addition, on the site, I'll be posting my recommended reading picks, as well as written interviews with creators. Also on my YouTube channel are video interviews with creators on location at comic conventions and elsewhere. I know you have a lot of entertainment to choose from and a lot of podcasts to choose from as well. And I thank you for making the time to listen to this one. Your best source for comic book writers, artists, and creators. There are more interviews in the works, and you never know who it might be. It is my distinct honor and privilege to speak to these creators and bring you those interviews each week. I'd like to thank my executive co-producer, who makes this possible, Mrs. Calloway. That's all for now. For Creator Talks, I'm Christopher Calloway. Until next time.